This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Uber expected to register IPO on April 11th, anticipates $100 billion in valuation. Startups in Seattle, where are the Amazon spin-out companies? In Delivery Nation, all roads lead to the final mile. UPS to roll out major pricing revamp as it benefits from network efficiency steps. U.S. carriers face carbon surcharge in Canadian provinces. States taking the lead in policy disruption for AV and EV. Closing drug test loopholes could hit driver availability. Virginia sets higher fuel taxes, registration fees to fund improvements, especially on 81. Trucking and rail industries to advise regulators on national security. And Port Report, Trump signs executive orders seeking to boost U.S. energy development. We talk about all these headlines and more on today's What the Truck. Triumph Pay is the leading carrier payment platform in transportation. With over 50,000 carriers paid, Triumph Pay helps to drive capacity, efficiency, and cash flow for brokers and shippers. Visit triumphpay.com to learn more. I'm Chad Prevost. And I'm Ellis Smith. And we are going to, you know, have a, th- a f- uh, we have a, you know, a regulatory final mile and LTL kind of freight tech and capital investment theme today for our podcast. It's going to be a jolly good time. Can you and, handle it? Uh, you know, laws and lobbyists and uh, oh everything my. going on. Wait, what's the next? What's the next batch of rules that everybody's going to have to contend with here? We're uh, we're uh, missing JP, who's at the TIA conference in Orlando, but I doubt he's missing us. I just spoke to him on the phone. He sends his regards and uh, is here in spirit. Yeah, he's just kind of well. Speaking of spirits, actually, ah. uh, Ellis, uh, <laughs> what are you uh, imbibing on? Well, I'm what chowing down on a big old hunk of Guinness here. This is uh, uh, with the nitrogen pod in it, where when you open it up. It sounds like a paint can. Yes. Wow, that was a juice. Yes. <laughs> that might win the podcast <laughs> award for beer opening. Um, you know, I have to say, uh, since you bought the beer, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> um, you know, so Guinness surprising for every six, for every 12 ounces, I believe only 199 calories. A light beer, but if you also will. a surprisingly light ABV. Mm-hmm. So. Way to be way to be a lightweight here. Uh, having a sober <laughs> what the truck. Here oh, with our, with I our guess <laughs> so. Hey, what could go wrong? So we're gonna um, we're gonna talk a little bit about the freight tech and uh, capital investment here to lead us off. I thought that this was kind of um, one of the more interesting headlines, Ellis. Uh, you know our. Uh, you know, so Lyft, we've been covering Lyft, and, and Lyft has, you know, they, it's, it's been interesting with Lyft, right? They, they, they launched ahead of Uber. I, I they got there first. They, they were oversubscribed. They had a, a focused business plan that just included the United States, whereas Uber is spread out all over the globe. Like, oh, it just opened in Saudi Arabia, for goodness sakes. And uh, they're doing Uber Eats and uh, investing in scooters and all these other things. So a much bigger business, but perhaps a more complicated business to pitch to investors. Uh, whereas Lyft, 
We just give car rides to people. And they probably are uh, overvalued. That's what we're hearing from some of the analysts. Uh, their stock has been, and, the, and this is happening today because uh, this is, we're recording here on April 11th, and Uber is going IPO. Any to, minute now, we think. Today. And, uh, and so, like, but right in the face of Lyft starting off with shares at $72, $72 a share and falling, I actually, when I checked it this morning, they were down to sixty dollars. Yeah, there were they it, initially. They their target price I think was lower. It was in the sixties, and it was oversubscribed. It was so popular, people were okay. piling into the stock, and so at IPO time, uh, the price was a little higher. And then these analyst reports were coming out saying, "Well, look, Lyft, it's real nice and all that you've had your IPO, but." We're not sure how you're going to hit all these targets for earnings because as we look at your business, and you have to make all this public now that you're a publicly traded company, yes. as we look at all these documents you've released, uh, you're either going to have to go fully autonomous on your cars. If you have to still pay drivers what you're paying them now, it ain't happening, uh, essentially, is what is what multiple analysts concluded. And that was you know a bit of a gut punch, I think, for folks who bought in at 72 and are, have lost that value now. Well, some of the criticism that we're hearing is that, uh, you know, they're saying, you know, some analysts are saying, well, look, the uh, the customer is a free agent. The driver is a free agent. There's no stickiness, as they mm. call it, to the to the business model. I, you know, I, while I respect what I don't understand uh, and I don't know what I don't know, uh, I have to say there's a lot of stickiness. I think that this, this, you know, this crowdsourcing this ride sharing seems like it's not only here to stay but going to dramatically dramatically grow i agree so with that but let me pose you a question okay uh oh. how would you how would you compare the ride experience on lyft versus uber what is what is the competitive advantage you've got two apps on your phone what makes you reach for one and not the other Maybe because one has reached more of a critical mass of of drivers, but you know, okay, okay. So I see where we're going. So free agent, there's no st anybody. As could... a customer, I don't care whether I'm hailing a cab or whether you know if I see one or whether there's an Uber yeah. person near me and I can get them in three minutes or a Lyft guy. I I just want to get there. Like it's not like yeah. I go in the I go in the Lyft and I've got free scotch and soda, or you know Uber I get a massage on the way. You're riding in somebody's Toyota Corolla, uh, <laughs> and going to your going to your thing. Hopefully on time. That's all you care about as a as a consumer. So I agree. I agree that ride hailing isn't going anywhere. But I question like what's what's Lyft's competitive advantage? I think it gets into uh, cost structure. Who's going to be able to do it cheaper? Because people do care about that. Uh, and and who's going to be able to? Um, Right, because you got to keep the pay drivers, drivers happy. Yeah, you've got to do it cheaper, but you got to pay your drivers more. Because the more drivers you have, the more people are going to get rides, and 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 they're going. If you get a ride quickly, then you're more likely to use that service. I would argue. Well, as we try to keep the tempo up with our massive amount of headlines and how we're going to get all of these in uh, in time, I, I don't know, Ellis. It's great to have you here. Hey, it's great to Thank be here on this award-winning podcast. <laughs> yeah, we we won a, a bronze, <laughs> a bronze. It's like it's almost like well, I would just almost rather have not won the award. Well, you than, know, they always say in the Olympics, silver is you know the first loser. 
right? right? And so there, the silver guy wishes he he or she had gotten gold, but bronze is just happy to be there. Right, just and happy we to, are we are just happy to be you know, here. <laughs> they're just happy <laughs> to be part of it. Thank you to the A's for um, having us aboard. Uh, who knew? And thank you for listening and bearing with us here. One of the things that I, a really interesting story, uh, one more on the freight and tech and capital investment lines. Linda Baker had a mm. terrific, um, in fact, she she broke the Uber news too. So kudos to Linda Baker on our editorial staff. Uh, the startups in Seattle, where, you know, it's interesting. So you've got your, you've got what, Microsoft, Amazon, um, another huge one, Starbucks. You've got startups, amazing, iconic brands coming out of, of Seattle. And yet what they're finding is that they don't seem to have a lot of young venture capital in the space for like where they're positioned and for all the tech and all of the innovation. One of the things is like, well, you know, um, Amazon seems to be doing a really good job at kind of holding on to their talent. They keep things interesting in, in spite of being a very big company. They keep innovating. And so all of that talent isn't just kind of like, you know, leaving and dispersing out into the into the into the Seattle, I guess, hemisphere. Here's something, though, that I thought was interesting and kind of funny uh, in a in a way, it's like a lot of there are there is a lot of money. There's a lot of investment capital in in uh, Seattle, but a lot of times, you know, it's like when someone makes a lot of money, um, they because kind of regionally where they're they're located, they've made their money and now they're gonna go skiing. Uh, they're not gonna really go back and invest as angel investors and kind of keep that that community thriving for uh, for the young for the young generations in the um, seed funding startups. So uh, you know, it, it's you know as as Linda s- s- writes, you know she says if if that sounds glib, um, the numbers aren't. You know Seattle actually ranks fourth in the country in terms of venture capital investment, wow. and and this sounds like a lot. It's almost at three billion. Everybody says billion with a B. Billion. <laughs> but if you compare it to almost 12 billion in Massachusetts and 14.31 billion in New York and check this one out of course maybe not a surprise 77.3 billion in California it pales in comparison yeah i mean I, I, there's this theory whenever uh, and we talked about it when when Nashville for instance and we're of course located in Tennessee when Nashville was uh, attracting amazon the theory for the incentives and the we'll build your parking garage for you and you know and give you a tax break and all these things is that when a tech company comes to town and and Amazon is a world class recruiter right everywhere they go it's great to be able to work for Amazon it's it's like being able to work at Apple or Microsoft they're a world class company mm-hmm. uh, and so you're thinking as Nashville we're going to bring all these people here and they'll stay for a couple of years and then they're going to they're, they're going to spin off all this talent that's just going to percolate through the entire community and make everybody more and start new businesses. In fact, I even wrote a story where I claimed that that was going to take place. Um, <laughs> well, but, at least you're owning up to it now. <laughs> but, but that theory doesn't always work if it remains a great place to work for the, you know, the, 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 the talent uh, in terms of you know, your developers, your creative designers, your business people. If they're having the time of their life, if you're paying them well, if they're getting stock options and they've got a good work-life balance, they're probably not looking that hard for another job. I mean, where do you go from Amazon? 
if you're if you're in the top <laughs> tier there. Yeah. Uh, one of the world's biggest companies, most uh, most interesting companies, getting in now to LTL and brokerages and freight and Cloud all these other things. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Well, where do you go from there? I don't know, but they you know some argue that the idea of Seattle not having the vibrant startup uh, scene is kind of old news, and that actually. They do have a vibrant startup community. They just lack the density of, uh, you know, some major that, that some of the major tech markets have. But um, you know, I I don't know. You know, like uh, maybe there will be a bit of a trickle down effect with the talent in Seattle. Sounds like a nice place to uh, to live. If and you be like in the rain, startup scene. <laughs> way, way to be a downer on Seattle. <laughs> well, well, they do have some companies though. To be fair, I mean, I think Expedia is there. Uh, you know, they've had. They've had. There are some companies that that are there, but I, I just think. Well, yeah, it's a big city. Though. Yeah, it's it's know. it's a big city, and those are tech companies, and and uh, you know, I, I, a lot of Microsoft uh, folks have gone on to to found other companies. Uh, I feel like every time I'm in the tech world, I'm meeting a former Microsoft employee. Uh, you know, you don't meet as many former Apple employees, though. Interestingly, and I just. Uh, you know, I kind of wonder if that's just some some companies. That's just not a thing. But aren't they a little more notorious about not taking as good a care of their employees? Apple, they kind of keep the, the the salaries. I've understood that they were lower or something. I don't know. They're in a spaceship now, so they've got uh, you know. They, it looks like they're in the the Starship Enterprise, their new headquarters, and they've got. It's a little bit like Blue Cross Blue Shield. It's a big circle, a, a infinity ring where they can walk around and be productive. And there's flower gardens and coffee shops and baristas and massages and nap rooms. Hard to say. Eh, this sucks. I'm gonna go. Uh, I think I'm gonna go work in a factory and make widgets. Just hard, probably, <laughs> probably hard to, hard to do that. Wow, I can tell we are right on target for our meeting our, <laughs> our uh, time goal. Um, but that is uh, no. But you know what? We are here to enlighten and entertain, right? Right, Ellis. So that's good stuff, man. Um, and, uh, you know, I could use a good nap room every now and then, I have to admit. A little power nap, you know. Actually, I, just briefly here, I, I just read Daniel Pink's Win, and, you know, he's talking about timing is everything. And he's saying that there is research that says that the 20-minute the power nap is a real spot. thing. Oh, for me Where it you, is. you can go down and you can touch into that REM without coming up groggy. You get just enough. He even calls it, um, he says you can have a nappuccino. <laughs> and now check this out. He says you can drink a cup of coffee and go take a nap. I've actually done because this. Because the coffee doesn't kick in. It takes a minute to percolate, if you will, inside your system. This will never this would never work for And me, then you though. your eyes slam open in about twenty minutes. <laughs> really? You know, and you're, you're okay. bolt out of bed and you're ready to rock. Well, that's what everybody's probably feeling like doing listening to us right now. <laughs> Having a nappuccino. No, um, so, uh, you know, I, Mark Solomon uh, was at our, uh, the home delivery conference in Philly. It was in Philadelphia this year. I remember going to it last year in Atlanta. And uh, he has, he, he covers a lot of our last mile uh, stuff. And, EPS, FedEx, et cetera. And so he had a good overview article of the Delivery Nation. We'd like to encourage our listeners to check out. It's, it's, it's extensive and also, the UPS rollout of the major uh, pricing revamp uh, is is interesting. But so overall, like one of his takeaways uh, of looking at you know all things uh, omnichannel is that you know the, not only is 
last mile in e-commerce, like having a profound effect on American business now, uh, we are basically becoming a quote unquote delivery nation. And here's an interesting projected number um, by 20. I don't know why by 2026, it's kind of random seven years from now, but by 2026, uh, about 100 million, that's million with an M parcels will be delivered in the U S every day, about double the current rate. And so, wow. yeah, uh, that's according to estimates from FedEx. But, uh, you know, and so everything will be. But here's the overall takeaway I, I that I got out of this was that, you know, even while everything expands and it's 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 not like margins are going to be expanding for e-commerce they're uh, they're expected to basically it, it might not drive profits, you know. Yeah, because you got to uh, okay. So now you don't have your retail store, which means you don't have to pay the elect- electrical bill. You don't have to pay people to stand around and help customers and all that good stuff. Yeah, but you got to move a bunch of trucks, which consume diesel or electricity. You know, seven years from now, who knows? You've got to have more distribution centers, more docks, more forklifts, more pallets, more everything else. So yes, it cancels out. And uh, you know, it's. It's it does I guess it does cancel out and it's it's going to be it's harder and harder the more you have to do that and I think that people are are going to be curious about like how do we you know what's the best that there there's like there's there's like a kind of a triumvirate of like a you know a business model that you you do all these right things organizationally and where uh you know the the customer knows exactly what they've ordered and they know how long it's going to take and all of the but apparently this triumvirate is is much harder to execute than um it's much harder to meet the meets the eye so uh, you know, it's it's a growing thing, and you better like get on the the last mile uh, delivery train if you want to survive. <laughs> but it seems like in the short term, uh, you know, it sounds like a wild ride. It sounds like a challenging one. It's going to be a wild ride, but for customers, a lot of that's going to happen behind the scenes, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, you think about. You know, FedEx's old model, uh, I guess it's still sort of their model, where every – we were talking about this today earlier, actually. Uh, every package would have to go through Memphis. If, if FedEx sent a package, even if it was from, um, you know, from Chattanooga to Rossville, theoretically it would go to Memphis, you know, mul- multiple hours away, and then get on a truck uh, and then go back to Rossville for sorting and everything. I think as you – what we're already seeing, because this is not going to be a change where somebody – flips a switch and all of a sudden we've doubled the number of packages that we're that we're shipping. It's going to happen every year, it's going to be a little more. But what we're seeing is getting um, you know a more localized regionalized distribution model, right? Because we're needing to stage things. Ah. We can't we can't continue to keep everything and there's not a warehouse big enough to where you can literally hold everything like like we would in the old days and then ship it all over the place. I think we're going to see a lot more uh, local and regional distribution, and we're already seeing that partially as, as a result of, uh, you know, the demand for um, long haul trucking, right? Which is which used to be the old way. We'd move something from Savannah yeah. to California, um, and the price on that has gone up so much. A lot of people have started adapting their systems to do that hub and spoke um, type of system where drivers are home every night, and I think that could be a good thing for drivers ultimately. Uh, if we get back to more of a regionalized model with a lot more distribution centers where things are staged closer to the customer. 
Uh, well, and speaking of trying to save and figure out new ways, apparently UPS is rolling out major a major pricing revamp as it benefits from you know its network uh, efficiency steps. <clears throat> what what do you uh, know about Mark Solomon's coverage of this? I I know so that yeah, <laughs> I know that uh, you know apparently that they are you know Rob Martinez, the CEO of Parcel consultancy of shipware has said that, you know, there have been a boost in density and a reduction in the company's unit cost as more packages move through their fixed cost infrastructure. And the savings are likely to be passed on to shippers in the form of lower rates. Although some of the shippers may see rate increases uh, if the company determines that it's not being properly compensated for its true cost to serve. But it's likely to open up a new front in the market share war between UPS and FedEx. So, you know, that, so, you know, that duopoly, maybe UPS is going to achieve a little bit of, a, you know, a, maybe they're going to like get a leg up on, on that uh, extremely competitive wall right there. But I, I think that overall, you know, it would be UPS handles, what, 20.7 million packages uh, every day, it's huge across it's huge. 220 uh, c- countries. So it's great that it's looking for uh, it's continuing to stay light on its feet in certain ways, and I think it's it's necessary. Well, uh, it's a long article and in depth, and and Mark Solomon covers it really well. Our markets uh, managing editor. So check that one out. There's really two two quick pieces to that that I should mention. Which yeah. one is you know when UPS got started. Uh, it was a it was primarily a, a business to business. So if you needed to move something overnight, you know, to your legal firm or your accountant or or your Shanghai branch of your of your company, you know, UPS gets it there. Uh, and oftentimes it's a truck dropping off multiple packages at once, which is which is great for them, right? It's it's uh, less driving around, less doing nothing. Um, as we get into the consumer side now, you're you're getting sometimes one package uh, with your with your two day Amazon Prime delivery, and which so is not very efficient, not very dense, not very efficient. They're driving around a lot more to deliver the same number of packages. So what they've done, the second part is they've 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 created these hubs, kind of like what we're talking about. They've created uh, yeah multiple hubs in Atlanta, Dallas, uh, Phoenix, Salt Lake City, and Indianapolis to try to push that density out toward the customer who's ultimately going to get the package and, and hopefully revamp their system a little bit. UPS has always been a little bit slower to move, I think, than, than FedEx, just the way their uh, their labor structure is set up and, yeah. and some other issues. And, and I know this is a huge, huge effort for them. So it's it's good to see that they're catching up. I think in general, uh, you know, what we're seeing this week is we've we saw a couple of interesting headlines on freight and tech and and uh, investment, which we've talked about. And, you know, there's there's certainly last mile and e-commerce is really changing the landscape of logistics and how things are done this week. There also just seemed to be a lot of. Like regular, it's that time of the year. I think is I, good time I, to pass a law. It's starting <laughs> to warm up, you know, people yeah. are going outside. <laughs> well, I, I, there re- actually really is like a clock to how some of this works. Apparently, like if something doesn't get on the table by around now, then you got to wait till next year. You just about do because they st- the the politics and everything by August. You know, everybody's running for president again. Yeah, that kind of and, puts a stop to everything. Um. That sounds like an yeah. empty uh, Guinness Paint there. Paint can. Um, yeah. 
Uh, hook a brother up. Thank you, sir. There you go. Wow. I mean, I think I'm just drinking Coke here, actually. Um, uh, you know, hey, so, but overall, this is what I wanted to say, Ellis Smith here. Uh, you know, like, th- a lot of these articles can be in-depth, and, you know, let's let's just hit a few of these. Like, one of the things about the, so, U.S. carriers now face a carbon surcharge in Canadian provinces. I can give you that one fast. Canada... Yeah. Concerned about all the smog and everything, they want to charge put a carbon sur- surcharge for any fuel, diesel fuel that's sold to trucks in Canada. Here's the problem: what <laughs> if a truck comes from the United States, fills up in the U.S., drives through Canada, releasing its pollution, and then drives back into the United States without buying gas? They're not paying that carbon surcharge. Problem solved. Yeah. So, well, that's obviously what what U- U- U.S. trucking companies would do. I, I would think they're very savvy. Uh, so well, I think Canada it's has seen around the corner on this, and they're saying, well, that's you can do whatever you want, but if you're going to drive through Canada, you need to register. And then somehow, and this is where I get a little mystified, somehow track the amount of gas that they're expending or the amount of diesel they're expending in Canada and then pay accordingly. So good luck to everyone on uh, fulfilling that. Well, I think, too, like, you know, just for, like, brokers or, or carriers trying to get loads to go into Canada, it's already a little complicated, yeah, it's if not a, a lot complicated. complicated. And now you're just making it a little bit harder. Yeah, I mean, how yeah. much paperwork am I going to have to do to get my maple syrup uh, across the border? It's just, it's it's starting <laughs> to, well, and, and we've talked, and this, I don't want to get too deep, but the supply chain as it stands between U.S. and Canada, it's always been very open. You know, you've got factories yeah. on both sides of the border, finished goods going back and forth and having, you know, value added to them each time. You do run the risk as you overcomplicate this of, of really disrupting that supply chain, having people have to relocate their, their operations to, to, to get rid of the, the blockage. Don't break the chain. Don't break the chain. Never break the chain. <laughs> uh, states are uh, taking the lead in what they call policy disruption for AV and EV. And, you know, uh, this is, I mean, I think that this would be a a good, uh, John Gallagher uh, is covering this, our regulatory Washington editorial reporter. And, uh, and, you know, I've been wondering about this because we we know that, uh, Ellis, we know, like, infrastructure is a big problem. We know it remains a stalemate in how we are going to be improving infrastructure and without going down that road. I mean, they can't figure out, you know, whether, you know, we're going to we're going to toll or we're going to tax fuel or we're going to privately enterprise it all somehow. Uh, We just don't know what we're going to do. And in the meantime, nothing is happening. But at least. And so and I was wondering, well, you know, the tech for autonomous is coming. You know what I mean? And I mean, I don't know. Like some and people, Daimler s- just rolled out what level two, two uh, already, and they're working yeah. on. I think they said level five, uh, level seven. I can't remember. Level there, there is no all level these, seven. Uh, You're just making level things level up. level seventy. I think maybe that's what it was. But <laughs> they're not having level five anytime soon either. I that's can tell where you that. that's where the robot also gets out and unloads the truck for you when you get there. <laughs> if only, right? <laughs> um, but of course, a driver would always have to accompany them in every way, yes, so no jobs would be displaced. No, um, but uh, at least some some uh, states are getting together to try to figure out their regulatory environment so that when these uh, you know when when autonomous and electric vehicles are really hitting the road, like they have a plan in place. So it's just another. At least it's taking in with some for, forward thinking states. 
and we're not going to name names yet, <laughs> um, uh, that they are anticipating this and taking off one regulatory headwind for the innovators trying to make the freight and the tech happen. Now, the states have been a little stymied because if you if you think back to things like the Internet or Airbnb or Uber, these things sort of emerged and local cities and states, they started scratching their heads and saying, well, wait a second, we don't have any laws governing this. How can it be? And so there was this mad scramble to uh, now you have all different rules. Every city you go to, sometimes the Uber can pick you up at the airport. Sometimes it can't, you know, depending on whatever local. And so they, they kind of get behind and they get panicked and they do a bunch of dumb stuff. So with with uh, autonomous vehicles, um, it's nice that they're looking ahead. The fact is, though, that <laughs> autonomous vehicles are a heck of a lot safer so far, you know, despite the well-publicized crashes right. and whatnot. The reason that's news is because they don't crash very often. It's like a plane crash. You know, if planes were crashing every day, yes, it would be terrible, but it, it wouldn't be news. Regular right. human drivers crash all the time. I think I think a person is, so is almost certain to get in at least one and usually more than one crash in their lifetime in which they are the driver. It's just guaranteed. Um, autonomous vehicles don't do that. Uh, they go their their safety record is far better. So it's it's difficult for me to see what the states are going to do to help that. Just kind of well, stay out of the way. Be, at least they'll <laughs> don't do at least anything. They can say yes, you're permitted to be here. Yeah, if they could just you yeah know. issue a permit. I know they have working groups and stuff. So we'll, we'll we'll sort of find out what they come up with, and it'll be interesting, I'm sure, to to everybody. Well, we will be waiting and continuing to cover That's it. Correct. Um, yeah. So, uh, also speaking of which, you know, states and dealing with infrastructure. How do they fund their improvements? Have you ever been on I eighty one? Love I- it. Great road. Yeah, are you? No, it's not. <laughs> okay. Because you know it would be a great road because it's very scenic and it's beautiful. You're going through bucolic, uh, you know, Ooh, Western word. Virginia, and it's I just uh, it's it's lovely until you suddenly get backed up for the next two and a half hours or however long. And so uh, they can. It's a very important lane for uh, for for truckers. It is, uh, and it is very overdue for it being increased in capacity. And, you know, Virginia actually had a proposal on the table uh, a few months ago to start tolling on the road. And that got a lot of backlash. A lot of talk about that. And and that was denied. <laughs> so everybody just continues to go along on the aging highway. And now there has been a, uh, a plan that has been approved on I-81, and, you know, and, and this is interesting. It's a little tricky because it's so complicated. Oh, it's real tricky. I love it. You know? <laughs> it's, uh, it involves a series of new taxes on diesel fuel and gasoline. Some, so they're going to phase it in uh, as late as 2021, uh, while others kick in later this year. And also, and here's where I feel like it gets a little tricky, it involves higher registration fees. Ah. Yeah. So that's, so that's not you. like one of those like little like, it's like tolling taxes. No, this is higher registration And when you fees. say higher, let's be clear, it's 40% higher. Wow, uh, on the uh, the heaviest class eight vehicles. Oh yeah, um, I saw that. Yeah, and, that's you know, a lot. Higher. What I love about this is I love things where it's like, look, you know, and it's true. You can't build the road with no money. Now they already have money for highways, so it's a little bit of a cop out. But let's pretend like they're already spending all the money on on other essential things, um, which may or may not be true. 
Um, you, so you need money. You got to raise taxes. But don't worry. These taxes won't kick in until 2021. It's it's future you <laughs> yeah. who's going to get taxed. It's not today. Zero percent financing yeah. for the next seven 0% years. Zero percent APR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, what am I investing in that I'll be paying off so in seven years? They've learned a little bit from the retail uh, industry. I love that. So that's I, I applaud them for that and for their craftiness. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no, I don't know what you do, but uh, you know, um, hey, don't we have to figure out? And this, I actually, I just talked to Dave Heller. The uh, uh, Vice President of, of Regulatory uh, and Legislation uh, at TCA. And I, I, I asked him, I said, you know, I said, is, you know, in the end, should truckload be willing to pay more, uh, whether it's in taxes or tolling? To or, avoid detention? Well, <laughs> no, I mean, no. Just should they, in the end, they use the highways more should they be more and you know and i think that the, and he was i think he felt a little put on the spot because he was he said well isn't that doesn't that you know get to the kind of crux of the matter um it does because it's a trade-off if you're sitting yeah, on the highway they, and you're not we, moving and your your eld meter is running right and you're running out of hours and you're not moving which means you're not making any money that costs you money. A truck well, that's, that's a not good point. a truck that's not running costs you money. But so does a forty percent increase on registration costs. So does an increase in the in the you know, yeah. fuel surcharges. And so how do you? Uh, and I'm I'm sure that our our various uh, uh, you know people who are interested in legislation from the yeah. trucking and truckload industry have been active and, and participating yeah. in this. Yeah. Uh, no one wants to be taxed more. No one nobody wants, wants to, to be taxed, more. but nobody wants their trucks sitting there not going anywhere either. Detention has a real cost to it. So well, I don't know how that shakes out, but that would, that was, you asked him a good question. And, uh, well, I think that there are two sides to this equation where on the one hand, you're like, I'm just doing my business right. and America needs me. This is an economic driver. You like, yeah, this isn't like a premium like, product. Like you, I'm not asking for an extra scoop of ice cream here. I just want to like deliver the stuff that people yeah, need. We're delivering the goods. And you're telling me that costs extra. That's kind of what I was getting into with it's not like Virginia has a zero dollar uh, budget for for spending money on roads and now suddenly they've they've discovered uh, that this road needs to be repaired they have a road budget there's a federal road budget they get money for roads yeah so they're spending they're just spending it on other roads and and not this one evidently or they're saying <laughs> or they're saying the cost is high we, we, we who we assumes responsibility ultimately who does well, and it's that's the and, Eisenhower you know. federal highway system but I believe yep. the states take care of it. It's sort of a delegated responsibility, so it's hard to say. Uh, what another uh, coverage of our of John Gallagher's uh, for our regulatory coverage this week? Uh, closing the drug test loopholes could hit driver availability. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, right. Hopefully not. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, it's just a fact that, like, if you, I mean, here's the thing. I also actually talked to Dave Heller about this, but you know, there's just no doubt about it. We cannot tolerate, you cannot have drivers um, who are under the influence you know, driving on our highways. No, and if you have good. better ways of testing, then, and, and yes, if that contributes to a shortage, so be it. You know? Uh, well, I, I mean, it's, it's. Do we want to get into whether or not there's really a driver shortage? I mean, sure. No, I either yeah, there's a the driver shortage. There is no driver shortage. Just that there's there's no anything shortage. There is a there's a shortage of the current going rate, right? So yes. Um, if you want more drivers, just just 
pay drivers more. It's real easy, actually. I've um, talked about this so many times yes. in the past. So, but that's the that's the short version. But so yeah, if you're worried, you're saying, oh well, man, we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel, and we're having to get uh, uh, these drug-addled guys to to drive the trucks, and this is really gonna this is really gonna hurt us. You know, well then pay more. Be like Walmart. They're paying what ninety thousand a year, and and. And then, of course, wow. the okay. The, Actually, you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. Ella Smith just solved the driver shortage. <laughs> All it took was a couple of Guinnesses. Pay them more. Actually, seriously, man. Uh, total compensation is by far the number one uh, factor in uh, drivers saying why they're they're leaving or staying. Um, so, man, I'm with you. I know. And we know that the goods are still being delivered. It's just at what What they're rate. saying is, I mean, and it's not, it's it's nothing that revolutionary. They're just saying in 2020, next year, they're going to have to query the clearinghouse on all prospective applicants. So anybody seeking a job or changing jobs is just going to have to register, uh, you know, whether or not they're, they're, they're clean for drugs or not. And so that's just going to be, so just don't do drugs. Um, okay. Well, um, simple enough, right? Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Uh, well, finally, uh, we're getting we're getting down to the bottom of the barrel here on our regulatory coverage. Trucking and rail industries to advise regulators on national security. Why would they do such a thing? Oh man, this is one of my favorite things because <laughs> on the one hand, you have people who see this as like you know, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. Like it's uh, they're out there you know, writing the laws and stuff. And on the other hand, you have people who say, oh, no, it's just industry groups are advising and saying, hey, you can make a law, but that, you know, here's what here's what the effects of the law are going to be. It's going to shut down commerce or, or cause the price of whatever to go higher. And so it's good for there to be a dialogue there. Um, and I think that, uh, and this happens in almost every industry, whatever industry you pick it, whether it's payday lending or trucking or, uh, you know, video games, basket weaving. There's a lobbying group that interacts with, you know, on behalf. There's a lobbying group for basket weaving. Maybe not basket okay. weaving, but uh, that would be interesting. Maybe bird watching. I don't know if that's one or not. But but there's a group that goes and they say, look, you can. You, here's what we think about the current law. Here's here's what we'd like to see. And sometimes Congress will say, okay, well, give us a draft of what you'd write, uh, and then they'll modify it. And that's very common. So this is this is sort of uh, not that amazing that this is happening what's amazing is that it's just now happening for me um, just just sort of knowing the the, <laughs> the lobbying efforts that do take that place it's just now happening. and it's good to have that dialogue because you get rules you know there was everybody's we've seen online a lot of backlash against hours of service rules and things like that that come out and others have said well that's cool that you're mad about it but where were you when we were coming up with the rules and asking for input, and and your name wasn't on there in terms of giving feedback? Um, so it's I think it's good to have the dialogue. It's good to let people know, hey, what you're about to do could be harmful or it could be helpful, um, and and I think that that's finally been recognized by the Transportation Security Administration. Well, um, one of the, uh, another complex regulatory uh, article was the uh, the port report from our. Uh, port correspondent, Michael Angel, uh, who uh, talks about how Trump uh, signed an executive order seeking to boost U.S. energy development. But he points out that, um, you know, the order, it aims to, you know, give a boost to oil and gas permitting. But uh, but Trump's own trade policies also are kind of working against the rapidly growing export markets. So it's he's giving a boost to some of the very things that he's put the brakes on. 
So some things are working, some things he's trying to stimulate. It's uh, it's interesting. Trump is probably one of the most interesting presidents we've had in a while uh, from a trade standpoint. On the one hand, yes, he's trying to speed up approval, which has often been extremely slow, you know, whether it's a pipeline to move the stuff so we don't have to do it all by truck or, you know, just individual wells. Yeah, that's going to speed it up. That's going to help us export more and import less, which will make us a a slightly wealthier country. On the other hand, he's starting trade wars everywhere, and that— Yeah, um, now apparently it's uh, with Europe. Yeah, with Europe, Canada, China, whoever, um, (laughs) whoever, (laughs) the enemy of the week, right? And that uh, tariffs—tariffs basically reverse what you're doing on the making things easier side, easier and cheaper. Tariffs make things harder and more expensive. So I don't know how this is going to net out at the end of the day, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that historians will have a field day trying to sort of unravel you know, what the net effect uh, is of all these things. But generally, the more you try to monkey with the knobs and levers and, you know, oh, I'm going to move this over here and that over there, the trucking industry alone is a $726 billion industry. It doesn't in the U.S. You can't. It's not. You're. you're not, it's not like steering one truck where you can move the steering wheel to the left and change lanes. You're talking about a huge industry with established infrastructure and tons of drivers. So, when you start messing with this stuff, there's a there's a big impact to that. And um, you know, I I think we're just now starting to see some of the effects of that. Yeah. What happens downstream? Downstream, for all of us as they consumers. say, in the oil industry. Yeah. Uh, hey, man, way to go. Good job. Uh, that's We're not going to do a big deal, little deal, because we just hit you with... It's all a big deal. <laughs> right? <laughs> we just hit you with 10 headlines in 40 minutes. I think that's pretty impressive. Way to fill in for the illustrious John Paul Hampstead. Big shoes, big shoes JP. Uh, and we wanted to say thanks to Triumph Pay, our sponsor again. So uh, shout out to them and, you know, to everyone trying to make our industry just a little bit better each and every day. One step at a time. <laughs> All right. So, um, hey, great to have you on the train. And let's how many more of these? It depends on when I run out of beer. examples can we? Uh, <laughs> then that'll be the last one. We should thank uh, Jonathan Smith, no relation, our, uh, our engineer who's helping us out with this. Uh, and and making us sound good, who soon will be making us look good as we make the transition to the wide, exciting world of video. So Silent stay tuned for that. Jonathan That's right. doing it here. Silent he but says deadly. he's a glorified babysitter, but I give him a lot more credit than that on this podcast. He is making us sound good and, yes, yeah, soon to look good. Also, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you're still with us right now, uh, don't forget to check out uh, you know our website. If you haven't heard of the T- uh, the transparency, rather, Transparency 19. Ooh, good show, yeah. It is the mo- I mean, speaking of freight and tech and innovation, I dare you to find a more interesting conference in all of logistics. It's hot. It's fun. How do I know? Because we had one last year, and this one's even going to be bigger and better. We've got six or seven keynotes. It's going to be unbelievable. Brad Jacobs is going to be there. Shelly Simpson from J.B. Hunt. Brad Jacobs, of course, from XPO. Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary, that's right. And, is he uh, going to launch us with some 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 F-bombs? What's the under over Inquiring on, minds uh, want to know. <laughs> on the number of profanities. That's going to be a fireside chat, very focused, very directed. It's going to be a lot of fun. He's going to talk about... Um, our industry and, and how we're positioning ourselves. Uh, transparency is just a cool thing. It's about the tech. It's about the next thing. Um, and I know that, that the disruption that we've been seeing in transportation here and in freight recently, uh, a lot of people are curious about what's next. Come on down and find out. 
Can't wait to see you there at the Georgia Convention Center May 6th through 8th. And with that, we're out. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.